Welcome listeners, this is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Our show stands for empowering future and current entrepreneurs to start dreaming and start entrepreneuring, which means to take that leap, take that first step, as opposed to sitting there not acting on that idea. Not only are you gaining valuable advice from up and coming entrepreneurs and business owners, you also have the opportunity to connect with some of them. So now let's hear from today's Latina entrepreneur, Veronica Flores Mateo, founder and CEO of Azuquita, a dessert shop in desert Arizona <laughs> with delicious sweets that modernize Mexican childhood flavors into amazing creations that our ancestors would only dream of making. As Veronica says, taste nostalgia. So these flavors, she creates them today, and it's to help remind the Latino community of some of them that they've had in their childhood, but also introduces some flavors um, to the palates of people in the community. A few of their desserts include concha ice cream sandwich, buñuelos rancheros, gancito sunday. I love gancito, so I have to try that. Oh my gosh. <sighs> try the milkshake. And the milkshake, mm-hmm. yes. And Veronica, she's been featured on some local news outlets on ABC, Voyager Phoenix, Telemundo, and she's franchising in Rancho Cucamonga, California. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear about that. Um, So her success became with humble beginnings growing up in Chihuahua, Mexico, where she began her entrepreneurial spark there uh, with her nephew Edgar at the age of 10 and 12, selling bolis and mamonas. So I can't wait to get into this interview (laughs) with you, Veronica. So thank you for coming onto our show and thank you for inviting us at your home. Yes, it's my pleasure. I'm excited. I'm excited. I love to share the story. It's a good story. I always say it. It's something that I never, I never dreamt of doing this ever. I think I always knew mm-hmm. I wanted to stay in business, but I never thought that it would actually be something of my own. I yeah. always thought I would be working for somebody else. That's that was ex- the goal. And that's exciting. So before we dive in, I mm-hmm. want our audience members to get yeah. to know you a little bit. So we run this segment called Humans. And in this segment, it's it's just a few rapid-fire questions. Okay. Sometimes you get no context, so apologies for that. Okay. Uh, just re- respond with the first thing that comes up. Are you ready? Kind of. Go okay, ahead. Okay, cool. Fold or crinkle? <laughs> Fold or crinkle? Yes, fold or crinkle. Fold. Okay, cool. Caramel or caramel? Caramel. Okay, caramel. <laughs> uh, favorite curse word? It's Fuck. A- okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it. You said it with like how you would say it. That's literally, <laughs> that's the word. Uh, if you had to get rid of one color, what color would that be? Black. And I'm wearing it. And you're wearing it. I was like... I know. I know. I'm confusing. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> favorite superhero? Oh my gosh. I'm not a superhero person. Um, or role model. Well, let's do superhero. Okay. Deadpool. Deadpool. That's awesome. I, that's the first time I'm hearing a person say Deadpool. You know why? Because my I've seen that movie like 80 times because of my husband. Okay. And he's just a different level of superhero. <laughs> awesome. So that was a few minutes with Veronica. Okay, that's not that bad. I was nervous. Yeah, no, you're I good. I was scared. Uh, so Veronica, let's talk to us about your backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, take us to the journey of how then that turned into Asukita. How it all started. Well, funny enough. I was sharing that you and I met Mm. studying for a a terrible exam, Uh right? Because that's what I've been doing for the last five years. I've been in finance and it's something that I actually have enjoyed a lot. Like leadership has always been in me. We actually take it back. We met when we were in the leadership program. I've always been passionate about leadership. I I knew that that's 
my space. I didn't know in what capacity, but I always knew that that's something that mm-hmm. I was going to naturally gravitate towards. That was in college, right? Were yeah. you in college? Yeah. I was in, uh, yeah, that was my senior year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's been a while. But I always knew that I was going to be in business somehow. Um, I was always really tied to the community. I was always engaged in the community. You know, I was the director of the Latino Coalition at ASU. I was the president of another Latino organization at ASU. Leadership was just in me. It was mm. just part of my genes of, of what I am as a, as a human. But, um, you know, it all started with the thought process, like I said, of just becoming a leader and doing it for a different organization. I never thought I would actually branch out to do something of my own, but I knew that down the road, I would explore the possibility. There's people that naturally have that like entrepreneur, like I want to do that. You just know that that's something that you want to pursue. For me, it wasn't always a dream. To me, it was more of how do I give back to the community? How do I become a very good leader so that I can engage in different things? And that can transfer to anything that I decide to pursue. And so it kind of starts there. I mean, honestly, and I talk about the story of when we were so small, 10 and 12, and we were at the rancho and we were talking about selling bolis and mangoneas for no good reason. There was no good reason. Honestly, we had no need. We were on vacation. Every summer we would be there on vacation and it was something that we just wanted to try. And we actually, I remember that we hired, you know, Edgar's, I think it was deal or someone to take us to the city because we're from a really small town in Chihuahua. Uh And so we paid, my mom would give me money every Mm -hmm. summer. I would go to Mexico. We paid this guy to drive us to the city so we could buy the materials mm-hmm. for our bolis and our mangonias. It was something that I think naturally, organically, just was developing inside of me. And I never thought about actually, you know, making something and how, big. And tell the audience, how old were you? I was 12 and Edgar was 10. We made a sign. We uh-huh. had a whole, like, marketing strategy of, like, you know, knocking. It, it, like, the houses are very far away from each other. So mm-hmm. we would go knocking and tell the people to, like, come and buy our bolis. Like, that's something that we wanted to do. And so we started to do that. And from there, it kind of branched into something that, like, everyone knew that we were selling it. Every summer we would go, then we were we would sell our bodies in Mangoneadas. Like, it just kind of evolved. Um, but it starts from that. And I think once I started to really discover what leadership was in corporate America and understanding some of, you know, how to just navigate that culture and how to create culture, mm-hmm. then it was really intriguing to me to start something of my own. And I always said... There's a lack of representation already in in corporate America. And my dream was always to build the culture that I wanted to see in corporate America. Mm. And I knew that that was going to stem into a project of my own. I just didn't know when and how. Naturally, I've always been very driven. And when I share the story of Asukita, it literally started as a conversation in my living room. That's exactly what it was. (laughs) Literally how we're talking now. I just told Edgar, like, hey, imagine if we could build something that wasn't a raspado, right? Like something that could incorporate like some of those flavors that we grew up with in the rancho mm. and make it like this very commercial thing where people would actually want to go buy this, like make it a brand. And Edgar, you know, he was the one that was like, yeah, like what if we try it? And I was like, okay, well, let's try it, right? So we hired a graphic designer. We kind of start with like bouncing around ideas of what we wanted to do. And it just kind of tied to like, I want to lead. I definitely want to keep pursuing that. But how do I tie this in and do it as an experiment, right? Not even like full-blown, let me go find a, a place and open up a business. It was like, how do I test the concept? That's right. how it all started. Right. So so then what were some of the things you did to test the business? So funny you <laughs> asked that. It was finding a Mexican restaurant okay. that was willing to lease a corner so we could build something out inside of the restaurant yeah. and see if people wanted to buy it. 
And we did that. I found a, a restaurant in Mesa. I talked to the owner. I kind of pitched the idea of, look, this is what I'm thinking. It ties into what you're doing. It's a very old school Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I knew that social media was going to be big for us. It was going to be very visual. I wanted to really build a brand. That was how it starts. It wasn't even like, I want to build, you know, this awesome like dessert shop. It was like, how right. do I make this a brand that people are going to remember? Uh-huh. And so... I talked to this owner and she was willing to, you know, sublease a corner of her restaurant and win-win, right? For mm-hmm. us, we knew that we could help her bring clients that she probably wasn't ever going to target. And mm-hmm. for her, I mean, she already had the, the clientele. So it was it mm-hmm. was automatically clients for us. And so I think that when we had the conversation about two weeks later is when I go talk to this owner. I start looking for restaurants and just asking them, you know, like, hey, would you like us to come in? And I, you know, would pitch the idea and this was the first restaurant that I got to talk to. I had like three or four lined up and she okay. agreed to it. And she was on board. Damn, that you don't that is, I don't know if that happens often. I don't that think sounds so. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. wild because I didn't want to commit to a space and test it out there, you know, and I'll talk a little bit more into it. It's very millennial. Very, totally. <laughs> totally. And resourceful. But honestly, yes, resourceful. one of the biggest things for anyone that starts in this world is like the fear of failure. That's something that's always in the back of your head. And that's why, you know, we don't commit to bigger things. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of that. And you know, that's mm-hmm. definitely what led me to kind of start really really like small yeah. before i actually dove all the way in because of that right, right. you're always and, afraid of that and this brings us into a segue of a good question that oftentimes entrepreneurs receive the spotlight when mm-hmm. they're successful mm-hmm. but i not enough people talk about the setbacks and those failed projects that led up to that moment of success yep. so can you share with us tell our audience about any entrepreneurial lessons that you gained from failing yeah i think For me, and it's still an ongoing lesson, it's how do I get comfortable with failure? We avoid it. We do everything Mm -hmm. to not fail. And sometimes that's the wrong mindset because that's not realistic, right? Mm -hmm. When we open our location in Peoria, we signed the lease March of 2020 before everything broke out. And this is when you, so you were subleasing at the restaurant and then- We outgrew it. Outgrew, okay. Insanity. We outgrew that. It blew up on social media. I remember seeing on Instagram too, like you're in the, in the corner. I was like, oh, cool. She's at like, this little You spot. know what's so crazy? Let me, before I answer your question. So yeah, yeah. when we were in the corner, we always operated as this big corporation. People were expecting us to be this like massive space. And then they would go there and it's like, you're in a corner. Holy cow. Like on social media, the presence was so just like- you know, it was big. And so mm-hmm. people expected, you know, a, a dessert shop where mm-hmm. it was just less than 300 square feet and it mm-hmm. just blew everyone's mind. But to answer the question, you know, we, we kind of outgrew that. And I think that's when I started to let go of the fear of like, what if we move and then it fails? At the end of the day, you're committing to three, five, 10 years in a space. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment. And that's the scariest part. I still had the full-time job. So it was something that I was still working on. And so it, it's still an evolving process. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, it, it's not like that goes away, right? Mm-hmm. Even as we kind of branch into a different stage of the business, it's still something that I am always so afraid of. And everyone that I talk to, I think that's everyone's biggest fear. For me, that was just kind of like my let go moment of just trying it. And so when I decide to try it, then there's this thing called the pandemic that just like blows up in my face. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it's like, what do you do, right? Like, do you even start anything? We had just received our keys March first. Oh. oh my goodness! Right in twenty twenty. Literally, like it was like, here are your keys. Oh, and by the way, Arizona's shutting down. We had literally 
I think a couple days and we started actually like demolition in the space. And then, you know, as we're going through the licensing process, Mm. we can't have people inside of the shop, right? Everything has to be to go. Uh, We didn't have an online ordering system set up at that point. There's a lot of things that come from this, not just terrible things, but imagine like you're, you've poured so much money into this at this point. Like, what do you do? That's something out of your control. Man, that's really discouraging. So then how did you combat that? How did you jump over those I'm hurdles? telling you, it's just a matter of definitely a huge support system, but also believing in the concept. Like, I knew that people have to eat. Yeah. And it's almost like bringing yourself out of that space of just negative, right? All you're hearing and just like the news and everyone is just talking about the pandemic and how terrible it is. Like, you just have to pull yourself out of that negative space because that will consume you and it will completely shut you down yeah because it's easier like think about it It if i'm in that space and i'm like oh yeah no mm -mm, there's absolutely no way that this is going to work because why is it how is it going to work right everyone's shutting down there's obviously a huge health concern like there's so much that is just a big reason for this to not work Mm -hmm. so it's really fighting you know a lot of those thoughts and just like Honestly, it comes down to just believing in what you're doing and believing in the concept and the brand. And that's what it is. Everything has been fueled by that. Yeah. So that I believe that it's going to work and, and it has, you know, but that I can't express to you for any business. I mean, you can talk to any business owner and they'll tell you so many places shut down. Mm. So how is it that so many places are shutting down and you crazy folios are the ones that are opening up a, a shop? Like it's insane, right? Yeah. Like just that whole dynamic is, is pretty scary, but you know, it's part of it. Well, thank you for sharing that. I can't imagine because there was even a couple places that I've heard that were really popular in the Valley that were closing down mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. And to hear someone like yourself take that on when it all occurred, it's like people were probably really telling you, you might want to reconsider. Literally. Landlords oh were willing to negotiate and break lease. Like there were so many things because I wasn't the only one freaking out. Right. Mm-hmm. At that point. Um, there were a lot of people, I mean, even just with the landlord saying like, hey, if you want to break the lease now, like, go ahead, run, right? Wow. Like, I'm opening that door. But we didn't. We didn't because we knew that at the end of the day, again, you simplify it, right? It's like people are always going to eat. That's the number mm-hmm. one thing. And so if there's anything I know is that I'm selling something that people will consume because it's part of their day to day. And that's really what kept us going. And yeah. that's kind of, you know, why we, we kept it. And, and now I'm curious, as like a female founder, mm-hmm. how did you get the funds to be able to start this? Even before you did the, the sub-lease, like yeah. how did you start? Did you have to pull out a loan? Did you ask friends? Did you save mm-hmm. it from work? It was all us, right? We did not get any loans for any of it. It was all self-funded. So we did this all on our own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was part of the reason why we decided to pursue it because we, we wanted to do it in that particular manner. A fun fact about this, though, there were a lot of different investors that wanted to pour into the idea. And it's so easy when you're in that moment to say, you know what? I'll take your seventy, about $80,000, right? Like it, it's a, if someone comes to you and says, hey, Jonathan, do you want 80K? Like I'll pour it into this concept. <laughs> I mean, you're sitting there like, well, that's tempting. And mm-hmm. I decided not to do it because I always knew, even when I was inside of the restaurant, that I wanted to franchise. Mm. And by pulling in investors into this, I knew that that obviously would completely change the landscape and I wanted to have full control of what that process Mm. was going to look like. And so that's why we decided to do it all on our own. It was self-funded. So, you know, obviously it was a huge family project and 
that's yeah and then when you get an investor somebody to give mm-hmm. money to i'm assuming you'd have to check in with them totally hey, possible franchise totally there's so much right you're you have uh, obviously people that you have to report to you know you don't have that autonomy like you have it if, if you're on your own uh which is what we wanted to do mm-hmm. keep it within the family and just make, you know, make it something that was yeah. just ours. So then not really getting funded from investors, mm-hmm. really getting down and dirty, saving money, yeah. working for that money yeah. and investing into her home business. So Veronica, there's something that I kind of thought about when you mentioned franchising. In the Latino culture, that doesn't happen a lot. In the Mexican culture, it's not something that's talked mm-hmm. about, but it's a very American cultural thing to do. And how have you introduced that or what can you tell our audience about franchising? Because I know it's something that yeah. that they could benefit a lot from. Yeah. I think when we talk about scaling a business, we always think that we have to do it. That mm-hmm. I have to open five locations on my own. Mm-hmm. I already told you, think about one location that's, you know, 200K on average. Mm-hmm. Imagine opening five, right? And the amount of work, I think people think that... By working hard, that means that you are literally going to be there every single day of your life in every single location. It's not feasible. It's not something you're going to be able to do. Let me start off by saying Uh when I was in that tiny corner, I literally on my notes on my phone, I had franchising because I knew I was going to do it. And we operated as a franchise, even in 300 square feet. We had uniforms. We had an operations manual. We were just like building for that Mm. step. But what a lot of our culture and our community doesn't understand is that how you build a brand is leveraging other people's money. And it sounds terrible, but it really isn't. Because this is a dream that I've had for my family. I knew that I wanted to create something. I wanted to have a business that I could go and run and operate, pull my family, and we all do it together. There's so many families out there that have the same dream. Now, the difference with franchising is that you're buying into a concept that's already proven that has all the infrastructure from recipes to how to do everything. And they are their own boss. So when someone buys a franchise, an Asukita franchise, they're investing money in the brand. There is a franchise fee that you pay, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say hypothetically Mm $20,000. You pay me $20,000 to use the brand, to use the logo, to obviously open up an Asukita. There's royalties that come in from that, Mm -hmm. right? So that's passive income for me as I'm running a suquita. There's a passive income stream that's coming my way from the royalties of all the franchises. Mm-hmm. But what people don't get is that that is your business. If you buy a franchise, mm-hmm. that means you are running the day-to-day. You mm-hmm. get to fire, hire. You get to really incorporate all of your knowledge to run and operate that business. Mm-hmm. And it's yours. A lot of people think, you know, when you buy a franchise... I don't have that autonomy to make decisions. I don't have, you know, it, it's something that's so centralized that doesn't allow me to grow as an entrepreneur. That's the biggest misconception with franchising mm-hmm. because you are your own boss. You're just buying into the mold of a brand that already works and something that you truly are passionate about. And, you know, when we're interviewing people that want to become a franchisee and actually mm-hmm. become a part of the brand, the most important thing is that their vision aligns with what we're trying to do, that they understand what Asukita is. It's not just a business that's going to generate money. There's tons of brands out there that will do that. But what is special about this one? It has to have the right person so that they can actually build that brand. Like, for instance, in California, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first one that opened in the summer, which I'm so excited about. Mariana's the owner. When we had the interview process, 
That is what it's like. It has to be a good fit for both of us. She's pouring money into a brand and it's her own business. So Mm. she's paying for her own business to get it up and running. All she's doing is paying a royalty. All she's doing is paying a franchise fee, but it's hers. Mm. I don't get to decide how she runs her business, right? And a lot of people in our community, they really think that it's impossible to get people to do that. We go back to it because they don't believe in what they have Mm. or they don't make it passable where they can actually replicate that. In anywhere, anywhere across the U.S., that's the key to franchising is do you have something that you can replicate? Let's say a company that does cleaning, right? That is something that is franchisable. Like if you have a specific way of cleaning and you can make that a repeatable process, Mm -hmm. that is how many people do we know in our community that do that for a living? And they would never think about becoming a franchise. But why not? Mm -hmm. Right? Like other people are buying into an established process and you're getting passive income from it. And it's because it's your baby. I never lose ownership. This is, is mine. It, in a layman's terms, is this, mm-hmm. is this another way of saying like, here's how I created my services, my product. You don't have to come up with anything else. I just know you have the personality to drive the, the skills to run it. Exactly. Boom. Exactly. That's insane. You don't have to come up <laughs> with a business plan. You don't have to come up with marketing strategies. That's all been done for you. I have failed for you. I have tested the menu. I have tested, you know, the market. I've done all of it so that you can just come in and buy into something that's already a proven concept that you know is going to generate money if you have the drive and passion, right? So it's like, I'm giving you everything. It's like, here you go. Here's an asukita. You find your location. You open your location. And guess what? You're up and running in six to seven months. And she's looking for a franchise. All right. So if anyone out there... Anyone that wants to be a franchisee, it's it's an exciting thing. And it's expansion. Mm. Again, it opens that door to expansion. I always wanted to create something that was going to be everywhere. Mm. And guess what? This is going to be everywhere because of the franchises. I'm so proud of you. Yay! Thank you. But it's important to understand it. Do your research. Franchising is a, a very unique thing that is not a fit for every single concept. But it's definitely something that I recommend if you are trying to expand. Mm-hmm. It's a smart way to expand. It's a smart way to do it. Um, and it's just educating yourself on yeah. the subject. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's some great advice. For sure. What advice would you give to people of like, if you're wanting to start your own dessert shop or you want to start your own little pop-up, yeah. unique fusion food place, how much should they save for themselves? And I know that's a very loaded question because yeah. it just depends on a lot yeah. of things. I mean, it just depends, like you said, right? There's a lot of factors, but I think there's also a lot of things that we don't consider. Like for us, it was important mm-hmm. to find like a second generation location, right? We knew we weren't going to have to invest in infrastructure because if that was already an existing restaurant, mm-hmm. we just come in, redo the design, and, and then we're good. And second generation means that it was already built. Uh huh. It was already a food establishment. Okay. So I don't have to come in. And that's the complexity of the food industry where like just there's so many things that come with opening up a food establishment from permits to even just like engineering architecture mm-hmm. that that is the priciest that is expensive that is what really will suck your money and <laughs> i didn't want that uh-huh. but then again it goes back to relying on a lot of people that i've met and really leveraging your resources i've always said like if i'm not an expert in something then i'll find someone that's really good at it mm-hmm. and and trust their judgment and, and really utilize the people around you like yeah. that is the biggest point of failure for anyone that does want to become an entrepreneur that they keep it all and they want to have full reins of every aspect of their mm-hmm. business from accounting to marketing it's not realistic and so i leveraged a lot of people that had businesses and talked to the community i did accelerator programs anything mm-hmm. that i could do to feed 
myself and, mm-hmm. and honestly just to gain knowledge on how the food industry worked yeah so that i could really you know use that as as a starting point and i didn't have to fail to learn that somebody had already done that for me so that's where second generation places come in it's a lot cheaper i mean for any food establishment depending it can be anywhere from like 90 to 200,000, right like it just depends mm-hmm. on what you're doing but i also will say that Money is the one thing that should never hold you back from doing it. There's a lot of different ways that people can actually fund their projects. And they just are so afraid to even ask. For us, I'm blessed. We had it. If you want to do it, the money is out there. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. And that's what people don't understand. They think that it has to come from you. That is not the reality. Mm -hmm. There's so many different programs out there that will help you, you know, fundraise for whatever project. Um, obviously investors like that is a number one reason why people just decide not to go for it yeah that's crazy people are afraid to make money (laughs) yeah no joke it's it's truly like in my experience i've talked to a lot of people and that's the number one concern always so then let me ask let me get a little deeper because some you brought up a good topic of like people are just afraid to ask for money Mm -hmm. for you asking for money maybe seems natural for you because you were doing it when you were Mm -hmm. young it was just Mm -hmm. so natural as a practice right? right For other people, what advice would you give where if they really want to start something, but they're a little uncomfortable about it? Yeah. It's good to be uncomfortable. You can tell them that coaching lesson, get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. work on that. But uh, what kind of advice can you can you give to people to help cope through that? Yep. I think it's uncomfortable when you're not sure what you're asking for or what mm. the purpose of the project is. Does that make sense? Like you really have to have a reason. A lot of people want to do something. A lot of people want to be their own boss. Right. For me, it was always really important to understand if I'm creating a brand, what is the purpose of this brand? Like, what am I trying to do? It's not just going to be another ice cream shop. There's plenty of those. What is this going to do? Right. And I think where the discomfort comes in is when people are not really sure how to articulate their vision and they get uncomfortable. And of course, like if you're asking someone for money, they're going to drill you with questions Mm -hmm. and they want to know, like, have you thought about this? And and that's good because like, let's say I'm asking you Mm -hmm. for money. uh, This is product I'm pitching uh-huh. I have to have the minds positive mindset and also the know with all of my own product mm-hmm. think that's the best shit out there yeah and also understand that when you ask all these questions it's coming from a place of curiosity exactly not of like trying to like attack you attack you exactly. or like say oh where's the uh, and, leak in yes, your system and that's the problem it's a cultural thing as well mm-hmm. right like we are raised to number one never ask like how dare you go ask the vecino for five dollars <laughs> don't you dare that is not a thing we don't do that and yeah. it's just like getting out of that and and one of the things that i always say is like in the hispanic community there's not enough conversation about it right yeah, and so i think true. naturally we're starting to see it a lot more we see a lot of businesses that are starting to thrive and, and they are latinos but it's really understanding like like you said where the questions are coming from but then also understanding what the hell you're doing because mm-hmm. if you don't know what purpose you have with that particular project you're, nobody is going to hear you out. Passion is something that you can't improvise. You can't just go somewhere and pretend that you're passionate. No, yeah, it's yeah. either you are or you're not. And That's so true. how do you showcase yeah. that? Right. And I'll tell you, there's so many people out there that are more than willing to pour money into your passion. It may not align with what they're doing, mm-hmm. but sure as hell, I know that if you're passionate, you're going to make shit work yeah. and you're going to make <laughs> me money. Does that make sense? Yes. We don't does. think of it yeah. that way. Yeah. We think of it as like, you know, holy cow, like I, I'm going to go ask Jonathan for money. And at mm. the end of the day, like I have to convince him. And sometimes it's not about convincing. That's the mm. wrong mindset. It's mm. just really showcasing 
what it is that you bring to the table. Yeah. Hey, I don't have the money, but I have X, Y, and Z and look at it. Like I'm, I exemplify it and I see it and you talk to me and you could tell. It's no question. Same with franchising, right? Mm. I'm asking people to invest in my idea, in my concept. Yeah. That's asking for people's money. That's mm. growing with other people's capital. Yeah. yeah. That's me telling you, hey, do you trust my vision as CEO of this company and what I have in store for our future? Are you willing to drop 200K into this company? That is what it is. And mm -hmm. they're becoming a part of something, but it, it ties back to you really understanding the purpose of what it is that you're doing and how you deliver that. Wow. I see a lot of leadership in you that's losing <laughs> from just sitting here in this conversation. It's crazy because oh, we've yeah. known it. I've known her since I was in high school. Yeah. And she was a senior in yeah. college. So this is a great segue into some leadership mm -hmm. questions that I want to mm -hmm. ask. So what do you think is like an unrated leadership trait that you feel more leaders need to possess? I think being okay with not knowing. Again, when you think of a good leader, you think that that is your natural expert on everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's taken so many years for me to totally be comfortable saying like, I have no idea what I'm doing in this particular area. But let me find someone that's smarter than me and that can do this better. It's an ego thing. It's something that like, I'm supposed to be the know-it-all. I'm supposed to be mm -hmm. the one running this shit. Like, <laughs> how is it possible that I don't know accounting? If you don't know it, you don't know yeah. it, right? And successful companies, I think, obviously, that is where they start. They are perfectly fine. You know, any CEO that you talk to that is perfectly fine delegating half of the things that, you know, that, that they have on their plate it's a trust thing, right? And I think a lot of people fear that and they just don't like it. And it's uncomfortable, again, mm -hmm. to not know. I mean, if one of my team members comes and I just don't have an answer, it puts you in a, in a weird position. But then I think that's what builds culture, right? And that's yeah. something that I've learned as I even build a corporate team for the franchising aspect is like, okay, I have experts. I have people that I trust and that I can rely on. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the know-it-all. I am perfectly fine not being that person. Mm -hmm. And we don't emphasize that enough. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on any business owner, on any CEO. Right. Boom, you blow up. You know what? When you say that, the first thing I think of of how, I don't know, tell me if this is a cultural thing, but uh -huh. I noticed it with Latino families, Latinx families, where the parents know it all. Always. When we're young, we see them and we think they know it all. They act like they know it all. Always. I don't know if that's being transcended in our like generations. You so know what much. I'm saying? So much. They're untouchable because they're our parents uh, and they know everything, right? And this is uh, my therapist would be so proud. But literally, like, <laughs> these are conversations like, when you talk about breaking, like, those generational, you know, issues that we've just grown up with, that's part of it. And mm. that's what I mean. If you're the head of the household, if you're the head of something, you better know everything you're talking about. Mm. And that's a problem. Mm. I mean, in corporate America, you see it, right? Like, you bring people that are smarter than you that sometimes are below you, but that is exactly the reason. Like everyone has a very specific role mm, that yeah. they play and we don't have to be the octopus that has like literally 80 hands and that's mm -hmm. trying to do everything. Burnout. It'll happen like this. You'll be so tired of just the day-to-day -day stuff. In the shop, I'm in the shop probably maybe two or three times a week. I have awesome people that are there that I can close my eyes and not even have to worry about it. It's a trust thing. And that's part of what I'm saying that you know, we don't have to have our hands on everything and it's hard to do that. And it takes a lot of practice to just be okay with like letting it go and trust that everyone's going to get it. Yeah, done. trust the process. Trust the process. I swear, I feel like I hear that. Too. I'm sure from a lot of people you interview. Yeah, because it's like almost your baby too and you have to get past that yeah. emotion of like, 
it's not letting go. It's like just letting other people lead. Letting other people lead. Yeah, and yeah. contribute. And I can see that being really difficult. Even just with like doing this podcast thing. Like I know I know myself. I could be a control freak and I like change my language and in, in talking to people and texting yeah. and all that. And I can see myself getting better through like just even think about this. Entrepreneur, think about this. Letting your own people make mistakes so that totally. they can grow too. Totally. It's like parenting. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. But then that develops a uh-huh. culture that's underrated. A culture when you have a culture of you know the, an environment where you know that if I suck at life, you're gonna be okay with it. You're gonna coach me, <laughs> and then we're gonna move on. I'm gonna be there busting my ass every single day uh-huh. because I can trust that you're not gonna come and just like completely completely shoot me out. You're just gonna give me that space to grow and then contribute in a greater capacity. And that is something that we just don't focus enough on. It's hard to build a culture when all you're doing is accounting and marketing and you're literally everywhere that you're not focused on developing people around you and and you just lose sight of it. And people will find the places that they feel comfortable in. And if that's not you, you're never going to have anyone just kind of wait around hoping that you come around, Mm. right? Like there's options everywhere. Now, um, there's this... This is a personal question, but do you tend to keep a positive attitude during difficult situations and what helps you do so? Yeah, I think, trust me, I've been in plenty of those. (laughs) Um, Honestly, if you, it goes back to trusting the process and understanding that what you're doing actually has meaning. If I don't believe in it, if I don't see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel for what is my baby, why would I expect you to see that, right? Like it just pulls everyone down and and people feed off of your energy and what you are giving them. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you go, every interaction you have day, day in, day out, whatever you, you give, that's exactly what you're going to get back. Mm-hmm. And I think freaking out is so natural. We're human. But I think that is the number one thing that people are watching, right? Like pandemic hit. We had actually hired three girls I remember it was like our soft opening and we were getting ready to, you know, preparing for a grand opening that we didn't even know how it was going to go. Now, was I freaking out? Absolutely, since we got the keys. But what you portray to them, the excitement that you portray to them, is just it helps kind of keep that culture alive. Mm -hmm. And people just want to be there and they want to work and they want to get it done. But it's tough. It's tough to do it. I think in the last two, three years, I've been tested in more than one way. And it's always just taking the moment and understanding, okay, and you don't have to be jolly and happy and smiley all the time, right? I think you just have to be calm and understand that things are fixable. Everything is fixable. Even if we thought the pandemic was going to be the end of us, I mean, there's ways around it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we couldn't have people in the store, but guess what? There's online ordering that we probably weren't going to launch for another year. Well, guess what? We have no option. And we made it work. I mean, the first Sunday that we opened... yeah. And it was a soft opening. We didn't even have sugar at that time. Like we sold out probably an hour and a half because of the buzz that was created. But again, it wasn't even people sitting in a restaurant. It was us getting creative with how we did it and, you know, making the orders to go and assembling this online ordering platform and it happened. So how you react to it, there's always two things, right? You're either going to sit down, take those keys, give them to the landlord and just run or you're just going to really try to pursue it because there's always a way to fix it. No matter what, I always say that with everything. Yeah. Always. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think the now we're going to move into our final segment. Okay. So this one's called Mind Your Business. And yeah. we're, this is where we take pre-selected questions that we ask our guests. And 
the listeners get to ask any questions they can. Nothing is off limits as long as it's respectful. Please. And uh, and you get the option to answer on the spot. Okay. Or tell me my, my business. So <laughs> I have it here on my phone because I posted it See, on this, social. This is why I'm scared. Okay. You filtered through I the filtered bad ones? Through them. Okay. Yeah, I okay, through okay, the bad okay, ones. okay, good. I think the first one, this is from Anonymous, but have you ever considered branching out to try different dessert cuisines from other ethnic cultures? Oh, interesting. No, I haven't. I haven't because I know the purpose of this brand and it's mm-hmm. to elevate the Mexican culture. I think we, we can, you know, mix and match and, and when I'm feature some things, but my whole emphasis on the brand is to feature our Mexican authentic flavors. So no. no awesome. This is a, okay, perfect. I love that. <laughs> uh, so then this is from at 1029Jolly. So this, because this is a good one. Is there any other competitor dessert shop that they don't know your competition, but you know inside of you their competition to you? Who is that and why? That is so funny. I don't even know if I want to throw names out there. But okay. here's here's the thing. And competition is a big thing. That I discovered it really quick. <laughs> like really quick and not all, not always for the best reasons. I said this in a post for Women's Day. I put my head down and work. I know it's out there. I do competitive analysis just to really ensure that I'm on, on track with what I'm doing and with the, you know, the business sector that I'm in. But I put my head down and work. The number one mistake that I think I started to do as soon as we opened because I was getting so much um, just like stuff from everyone was to focus on what everyone was saying, especially competitors. You lose so much energy doing that and it will suck <laughs> your energy. And and there's always going to be someone better or worse than you. Like that's mm-hmm. a, that's a given. But I have definitely, you know, just put my head down and worked. And that is why we're now at the franchising space because I, I haven't focused on it. Um, there's definitely competitors out there. And I think... Number one thing for me was creating something that isn't out there already. So we're branching out into this new space. So we don't have a direct competitor, right? There's other places that are similar and we could potentially fall within the same lines, but we're, we're not there yet where we actually see something that's very, very similar to us. Awesome. Asukita, so. unique. But so this is for me. Uh-huh. So uh, where do you get your inspiration with these desserts besides, and I know it's going to go against what you've written. I've seen on your bio, but uh-huh. it's like besides the Mexican-American culture, like mm-hmm. where are you? What's that secret like you're getting those ideas from? Is it from like TikTok strolling from, oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, wait, I got something that could be like that, yep. but in my own twist. Definitely social media. Social media is really big for us. And anything that's visual and different, like if mm. I see a version of something, I'm like, we can make this into some Mexican, you know, sort of twist or yeah. whatever. Um, definitely <laughs> social media for sure. TikTok, I, I've seen a couple. I get people sending me stuff all the time. But it's always social media because our whole brand is just very visual. And so I want something to look really good. And typically from there, we just pull in the flavors and kind of just plug them in. But yeah, there's a lot of inspiration on social media, without a doubt. Awesome. Veronica, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, Tell our listeners how they can reach out to you and if they're looking for advice on starting their own desert desert shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, I mean, on on the Instagram, right? So Dia Suquita, that's our uh, business Instagram. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone there. Um, but also just, you know, even my email, like my email is on the website. People can reach out. Um, I, I do a lot of programs and stuff um, in Spanish. I'm really big with that and really kind of helping educate some people in the Latino community when it comes to business and just startups in general. Um, so there's a ton of resources that I'm involved in. I mean, Fuerza Local is a big one for me um, where I, I host different classes on different topics. And it, that's always a really good way to contact me and, and really kind of work one on one. 
but Instagram, that is where you can find us. And I'm more than happy to connect there. Awesome. And then uh, for those tuning in, please uh, make sure to follow and subscribe to our channel. That's a great way for us to help with the algos, the algorithms. Mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave a review, honest review. Spotify just recently has a rating system now. Oh. So leave us a review on Spotify as well so that we can continue to grow the page. Share stories like uh, like Veronica here about Asukita, how she started her own business and uh, just continuing to get digestible advice to, on how to start your business. So thank you all for tuning in. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you.